Amen. You know, when I was growing up, uh, my earliest remembrances are being in a community. If you can imagine this, my parents, their best friends, my aunt and uncle, and my grandpa all lived in the same house in this rural New England village. It was an old farmhouse that had been converted into four apartments, but it was all a sense of being all in the same house. I grew up with community. In fact, my mom used to say, when you were a little guy, you'd go around to each household and tell them you hadn't eaten breakfast yet, and they'd all feed you five times, on, and, and you'd be eating all the time. As I grew, I realized that the community got even bigger. I grew up in a village where I knew just about everybody, and they knew me. Can you imagine at eight years old, I'm going out door to door by myself selling Christmas cards to earn money to get a bike. And my parents weren't even afraid because they knew, well, he knows everybody and everybody knows him. And I had a great sense of security because I knew if anything ever came up, there's a hundred doors I could go run to. And I would find a welcome there. In my early 20s, I moved to Seattle, actually a suburb of Seattle. I went there to go to work. I didn't know anybody and nobody knew me. I moved into a fairly new community and it struck me that the first thing people built when they moved in was a fence. They were closing off their little space. Nobody knew each other, they didn't talk, they didn't visit. Where I grew up there were hardly any fences. Every yard was your yard. And we began, I began to see that there's a loss of a sense of community and it's ever increasing. In fact, I was reading a piece by uh, Jonathan Franzen, a novelist, who is writing about this loss of community, he put it like this. In the suburbs and exurbs, where the typical American family lives today, tiny nuclear families inhabit enormous houses, in which each person has his or, own, or her, his or her own bedroom, and sometimes even their own bathroom. It's no longer the rule that you know your neighbors. Communities increasingly tend to be virtual, the participants either faceless or firmly in control of the face they present. Transportation has become largely private. The latest SUVs are the size of a living room and come with onboard telephones, CD players, TV screens. And behind the windows of these tinted high riding I see you but you can't see me mobile privacy guard units a person could be wearing pajamas, a bathing suit, or nothing at all, and no one would know or even care. Community, in the truest sense, is being somewhat lost. But community is something everyone needs and most people want. So the question is, where do you go today? to find real, genuine community. However imperfect it may be, where do you go to find that kind of connection? Well, God has always intended that the greatest community anyone could ever find would be his body, the church. It was that way in the first century, and it's that way today. That's the way God established things from the very beginning. That's why Luke said in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, 
praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This was a very diverse community. Different languages, different backgrounds. They'd come from all over the Roman world to, to the Passover in Jerusalem. 3,000 turned to the Lord that first day. And the reality of the kingdom of God and what happens when Christ comes to live as king among them was beginning to be seen all over Jerusalem. This was a community of people bound together by their love of God and each other. It was a community in which Christ lived in and through the people in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Jerusalem community was watching this. And God was using this as a powerful witness to testify to his glory and what can happen when Jesus comes to rule his kingdom reign over any people. And as Luke teaches us, the kingdom of God is displayed in the witness of Christian community. How is that kingdom witness displayed? In their mutual devotion to God and in their mutual devotion to one another. The kingdom of God is displayed in the witness of a community mutually devoted to God. Here's the way Luke put it in verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. A person's view of the church will affect how they connect in community with that church. I was reading a piece by Colin Smith from a message he gave called The Church Sharing the Passion of Jesus, in which he mentioned four images of the church today that sometimes distort people's view of what the church is about and what it is. He said, first, there's the church as a gas station. For some people today, he said, the church is a place where you'll fill up your spiritual gas tank when you're running low. Get a good sermon, it'll keep you going all week. And then he said, there's the church as a movie theater. For many people, the church is a place that offers entertainment. Go for an hour of escape, hopefully in comfortable seats, leave your problems at the door, and come out smiling, feeling better than when you went in. And then he said there's the church as drugstore. For other people, church is the place where you can fill the prescription that will ease your pain. For many, the church is purely therapeutic. And then there's the church as the big box retailer. The church is a place where many go to buy the best products at the best price in a clean and safe environment for you and your family. The church offers great service, he said, at a low price, all in one stop, and for many people, the church is nothing more than a dispenser of programs that they can choose and pick to meet their needs. And while we hope that every church is a place of spiritual refreshment, enjoyable worship, help, healing, and with programs that meet needs, none of those are the primary reason that you or I or anybody else should ever be a part of a church. The primary reason anyone should come to be a part of a church is that they desire to be in a community where being devoted to God is truly lived out and each person is encouraged to do that even more. A witnessing community that is Christian should be living in devotion to God. The early church was a powerful witness of this and it began to impact the entire community. Luke said in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, 
to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe to many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to doctrine, good theology, Bible teaching. You see, here were a group of Christians who were given over their lives to following this Jesus. And all they knew about Jesus is what they had seen and heard through the apostles. Some of them may have been there to witness the death, burial, and resurrection, but they didn't understand what it all meant. Now, in relationship with God, they want to grow. They want to know this Christ. They want to know what he taught. They want to know how he lived. They want to know what it was like to be with him. And where better to do that than to be with the apostles who lived with Jesus, taught with Jesus, served with Jesus, and suffered with Jesus. And so they gathered every day to hear what these guys had to say. And they were learning from the apostles' teaching. Where do you get the apostles' teaching today? You get it in the Bible, the Word of God. Peter said that this is the apostles' word, the Word of God, written down for us to read. That's why every church, if they are to build the kind of community that becomes a witness, needs to be filled with people hungry to hear the Word. That's why no church is there to just dispense therapeutic thought or to help people to feel better or to tickle their ears or to do things that draw a crowd. That's not why the church is there. The primary responsibility of the church is to be a place where the word of God is clearly taught, clearly believed, clearly followed, and made known. And they need to be a people devoted to that word so as they live it out in the community, people know when they want to hear what God has to say, there's a place that they can go. It's called the church of Jesus Christ. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. And not only that, they were devoted to fellowship, the koinonia, the sharing in common. This was a very diverse group of people who on their own would not normally hang out together or spend much time together. But what brought them together, what they shared most in common, was their love for Jesus and the relationship they shared with him. Their fellowship was rooted in their mutual love of Christ. And people, no community can call itself purely Christian if the people are not living in love and obedience to Jesus and demonstrating that by the way they treat each other and care for each other and love each other. Any congregation that doesn't do that cannot be rightly considered devoted to God or a Christian community. And there was also the breaking of bread. They were devoted to that. The phrase is literally the breaking off of pieces. That's what it means. Which makes this a very interesting phrase because it can mean everything from they shared food together to they shared communion together. The word was used for both. This early church often ate together, not just in the large group, but in their small groups as they went back to their homes. And very often, those meals were accompanied by a regular observance of communion. In fact, when you read in Matthew and Mark and Luke, that phrase, breaking of bread, is most often used to describe their time together in communion, remembering the Lord's sacrifice. When Luke was writing about it earlier in the Gospel of Luke. He said in Luke 22, verse 19, talking about the Last Supper, and he took bread, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. It's that same phrase, the breaking of bread. And gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. No church community 
who fails to remember significantly the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ as remembered in this sacrifice at this table can really be considered to be a church devoted to God or building a real Christian community. And then they were also devoted to prayer. Isn't it interesting that the early church was noted for being a people who prayed? It was their vital link to relationship with God. Remember, these are people who have come to know the Lord. These are people who now are in relationship with God and they realize God is hearing me when I pray. I can talk to God and he's listening. I can come to him in Jesus' name and knowing that I'm being received. And these people had a vital link with God through the prayers that they were praying. In fact, when you read through the prayers recorded in the book of Acts, it shows them praying for their leaders, for the sick, for the lost. They prayed for strength and boldness to witness. They prayed for God's glory to be seen, for his gospel to be heard. And they prayed for the people who were watching them. Imagine standing in the crowd. Some of these people, persecutors, are not in favor of this Christian community. And there they are hearing these people praying for God's blessing upon them. It was a powerful witness. That's why Luke wrote in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And by the way, the everyone there isn't all the Christians, it's everyone. Everyone who witnessed this, everyone who saw the fruit of their prayers, everyone who witnessed the power of the miracles that were being worked through the apostles, through the prayers of God's people, stood in awe of these people and what God was doing in them and through them. People, that was their witness. These people in Jerusalem knew that these Christians were devoted to God. They could see it. And that's the very same witness God wants to work in us today. A witness that flows out of our genuine devotion to God. People, the world is hungry to see people who know God. The world is desiring to find a people who genuinely know him and live it out, who are the real deal, who can point them to his word and have lives that demonstrate that he's really alive in their lives. The church was always meant to be different, to be known as different for all the right reasons. So that if people had a Christian neighbor or a Christian work associate or met a Christian anywhere, they would know if I go to those people and I go to their church, I'm going to hear about God and I'm going to know who he is. The church is to be the community where devotion to God is seen and that devotion becomes a witness to the reality of the kingdom of God. And not just in our mutual devotion to God, but the kingdom of God is displayed in the witness of a community mutually devoted to one another. That's why Luke said in verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Christians like to hang out generally. And uh, they usually need a reason to do it. So churches give them a reason. Uh, we have a Hebrews Bistro, which if you've never been over there, you can get free coffee, buy some snacks, sit around and visit and have a good time. Many people use it, and we hope you do. Churches have potluck suppers, fellowship times, all kinds of ways to bring people together, small groups. 
because they want people to connect. And leaders have learned over time the importance of these gatherings. I was reading about this one guy, Richard Blake. He's uh, from San Luis Obispo. And uh, he said right after church, right after the sermon is done, they have a coffee time every week in their church. Everybody goes to it. It's always right after the sermon. And he said one day a few weeks ago, his, uh, he's standing there in the coffee time, and the pastor came by. Everybody's standing around drinking coffee and talking. And the pastor walked up, and there's this little boy standing there, and he hears the pastor say to him, he said, son, do you know why we have everybody drink coffee after the sermon every week? And the little boy said, yeah, it's to wake them up before they drive home. (laughs) Now, I'm not exactly sure that's what the guy wanted to hear, but that's what the little kid said. Now, I realize many of you sleep through the sermon. I'm very glad that you can get some rest. I'm glad it's beneficial. We have pews, and some of you have found if I get in a pew that isn't too crowded, I can actually lay down and no one will see me, as long as you don't snore. So we, we have a Hebrews bistro. You can go get a cup of coffee, and we hope it perks you up before you have that dangerous drive home trying to fight the knots. One of the reasons churches have coffee times, potluck suppers, small groups, and all these things is to get people connected. And if you don't offer all these things, many times people won't. They'll just come, and they will go, and they don't connect. I find it very striking that in the early church, they were meeting together every day in the temple courts. They were meeting together every day in their homes. And the reason they met together was because they wanted to be together with the people. They didn't have the potluck going on. They didn't have the coffee time after the sermon. These people weren't motivated by that. They were coming together to be in fellowship with other believers who understood what it was like to follow Christ in a hostile world, who knew what it was like to sometimes lose your family or anything else because you followed Jesus. And so they wanted to be together with people who understood, who were learning about God and loving him together. They wanted to be there for that reason. It's all the motivation they needed. And so Luke said, all the believers were together. They met in the temple court. The far eastern end of the temple court was a place called Solomon's Colonnade. It was a covered porch where it was very common for people to meet. The Christians met there. In fact, after the first day, it was 3,000 of them. They were filling the court, spilling out through the gates, down some of the steps going up to the temple, and the Lord was adding to their number every day. In fact, it leaves with you the very distinct idea that there wasn't any place in Jerusalem you could go If you wanted to know where the Christians were, everybody would tell you, man, they're down at the temple. Oh, you want to know where the Christians are? They're down at the temple. They're they're down there by the thousands. The apostles are teaching. They're eating together. They're doing this thing called communion. They're praying together like crazy. They're even praying for us. You want to find the Christians? Head down to the temple. That's where they are. I've wondered sometimes if people in our community said, man, where are the Christians? The true Christians who love God and are devoted to him and care about each other. Where are those people? They're down at the church, man. They're meeting there all the time. You should be with those people. What a difference their lives are making. Luke said they had everything in common. They were knit together out of their shared love for God and each other. There was no real organized persecution going on at this time. That would come later. These people had favor with the people. In other words, people were admiring what they were doing, but that didn't mean some of these people weren't suffering. 
In fact, in their day, they were suffering the social and family sanctions that left some of them destitute. That's why people were having to sell properties and other things to take care of the people who had needs. You see, to follow Christ could mean being cut off from your family. You'd have no place to live. It could mean being cut off or blacklisted by the Sanhedrin, which meant that you couldn't get a job anywhere. No one would hire you. And if you owned a store or a shop, you'd be blacklisted so nobody would shop there. You could quickly become destitute. Finding enough food, clothing, and shelter for you and your kids became an issue. And the early church stepped up and took care of that because they understood why it was happening. There were no government agencies, no welfare, no food closet, no social security. These people had God and they had each other. That's it. And the way they cared for one another became a testimony to an unbelieving world. In fact, Luke would later write in Acts 4, verse 32, all the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. There was no giving problem in this church. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. You see it? They're witnesses to the resurrection. And the lives of these people backed up that witness. God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, put it at the apostles' feet, and was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, these people were not perfect. In fact, there were people coming into this fellowship that a little later on were pretenders. See, they wanted all the credit of being generous. They wanted all the credit of being loving. They wanted the appearance of caring, but they really didn't. In fact, by the time you get to Acts chapter 5, we're going to learn that there were some coming into the church who were saying they were given everything, but they weren't. They were pretending to be praying, but they weren't. They were not the real deal. And God comes down in Acts chapter 5 and says, hey, you're not doing that to this body. This is my body. They are really united. They're devoted to me. They're devoted to one another. You're a phony. And he exposed them and dealt with them publicly in the church because God wants to protect the witness of a Christian community. It was Jesus that united these people. In fact, you remember at the Last Supper, Jesus said in John 13, verse 35, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. It was a witness of their mutual devotion. You see, there were tremendous racial, ethnic, religious, cultural, and economic diversity in the early church. You remember from Acts 2, there were people from 15 nations that were part of that original 3,000 that got saved. They didn't speak the same language. They were of different races and backgrounds and cultures. People, our world today is divided by so many of those same things. Racial, cultural, ethnic, and economic tensions. But where do all of those people come together and live like this? It's only in the church. You're not going to see this anywhere else. The, The church has the answer the world is looking for. And that's why these people were such a powerful witness. People would look at this and say, how do you have so many people of so many diversities and yet you're all together? It's a miracle. I was reading a piece by Philip Yancey in Christianity Today called Denominational Diagnostics. How do you determine whether or not you're a healthy 
group of believers. Here's what he wrote. He said, as I read accounts of the New Testament church, no characteristic stands out more sharply than diversity. Beginning with Pentecost, the Christian church dismantled the barriers of gender, race, and social class that had marked Jewish congregations. Paul, who as a rabbi had given thanks daily that he was not born a woman, a slave, or a Gentile, marveled over the radical change. There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus, Paul wrote. I have a friend who pastors in India. I've never met the guy. We met online and we've been fellowshipping and praying for each other in our congregations. He tells me he has people when they have prayer days, some of these people walk 5, 10, 15, 20 miles to spend the day praying. And he, he emails me and he said, man, we were praying for you and your congregation today. I'm thinking, wow, how humbling is that? In India, there's a strict caste system. You're born in a certain caste, a certain level of strata, and you don't get out of that. And the castes don't mix and the races don't mix. But my friend Frank sends me these pictures of his church. He shows me a room full of people. There's men and women in there. There's people from every caste, rich and poor, boys and girls. They're, they're all together in this room worshiping and praising God. You know how rare that is in India? People, only God can accomplish that kind of unity amidst that kind of social separation. I was reading about this one Indian pastor who said most of what happens in Christian churches, including even miracles, can be duplicated in Hindu and Muslim congregations. But in my area, it's only the Christians who strive, however ineptly, to mix men and women of different castes, races, and social groups. When you see this happening, that is the real miracle of the gospel. The kind of miracle that becomes a witness of what the kingdom of God looks like when Jesus comes to reign in the hearts of his people. He creates a God-given oneness, a oneness we remember and demonstrate every time we come to communion. Every time we gather together with great diversity, coming together in great oneness, Christian community devoted to one another. However imperfectly, there's nowhere else in the world you're gonna find that. Mark Buchanan is a former pastor and now associate professor at Ambrose Seminary in Calgary, Alberta. He was telling how a few years ago, uh, while he was pastoring a church, a bunch of his buddies, guys his age from the church, big church, they got together to lay some sod in one of their friends' backyard. And there they were all together, pulling, huffing and puffing, laying this pod of sod down. And Mark said, one of the friends said, man, this is it. And Mark said, well, this is what? He said, this is it. This, this is Christian community. Look at us all together, pulling together, working together. And Mark said, you know, I looked at us and I said to him, you know, I don't think this is it. We all look the same. We, we all like each other. We all get along. We're all very similar. If we were going to be real community, we'd have to be all of different races or different backgrounds or different culture. There'd be people in here we wouldn't normally hang out with. We'd be together with people that aren't like us, and we'd be doing the same thing. He said, that would be community. He said, the guys grew really quiet. Then he said, a year or so after that sod-laying party, 
a girl named Wanda arrived at their church. Wanda was not our kind of people, he said. Uh, She was thirsty, all right, for beer, port, rum, vanilla extract, whatever she could get. And she had only one way to pay for all this, and I'll let you guess what it was. But she was desperate, Mark wrote, thirsty for something else. She called the church one day, wondering if she could see a pastor. And now, two of us met with her. She told us her troubled story, and I told her about the woman at the well whose life, like Wanda's, wasn't going very well. But she had met Jesus, and he offered her living water, and explained what living water was, and asked Wanda if she'd like some. She said, oh, yeah. So we prayed with her. She confessed. She repented. She surrendered. She drank deep. The other pastor said, now, Wanda, this Sunday's going to be your first time in church, so don't feel like you have to fit in right away. You can sit at the back if you like. You can come late. You can come early. We, We want you to be comfortable. She looked at him and said, why would I do that? I've been waiting for this my whole life. So that Sunday, Wanda was the first to arrive. She sat at the front, loudly agreed with everything I said. She was the last to leave. And the next Sunday, same thing. Only this time, she showed up with one of her friends from her former profession. (laughs) And they sat together in church. I preached on servanthood that day. My main point was, if you've tasted the love of Jesus, you'll want to serve. It was communion Sunday, just like this one. Now, Mark said in our church, we had a group of guys who came up at the right time, our servant leaders, and they served communion. So at the right time, I said to them, "Uh, if you're a, a servant leader, I want you to come. It's time to serve communion. Well, all Wanda heard was, if you love Jesus, you want to serve. So she assumed he's calling her up. So here's this huge church, her second Sunday, never been to communion before. This former prostitute gets up out of her seat, walks up on the platform, and stands next to the pastor who's getting ready to serve communion. He said the whole church was stunned. They just sat there looking at her, and they're looking at him, and he's looking at her. And so Mark said he just, he just leaned over, and he said, Wanda, since this is your first time, would it be all right if I helped you with this? She said, yeah, that'd be great. And Mark said, there we were. The former prostitute and the pastor standing at the same table, getting ready to serve communion to God's people together. And he said, I I saw in that moment, this is it. This is it. This is Christian community. When people who are so different can come together and be the same because they're both devoted to God and they're devoted to each other. And he said the best part was he said the best part was the entire congregation didn't miss a beat because they realized this is the church God called us to be. Do you know that's going on here all the time? I think you would be shocked at times and rejoicing at times to learn who's sitting next to you. 
But you see, the thing that brings us together is not us. It's Jesus. Our mutual devotion to him. And we learn a mutual devotion to one another. That was the witness of the early church. The world had never seen anything like it. It was turning Jerusalem upside down. It eventually turned the nations upside down. This is the kind of witness God wants to display in us and in every church. A witness of people so devoted to God and each other, even with all of our faults and all of our blemishes and all of our mistakes and all of our disappointments. We are an imperfect people serving a perfect God. But there's something that brings us together that the world has never seen. And when they do see it, it testifies to the kingdom of God in their midst. And no time is that kind of unity and devotion to God and each other seen than when we come to a table like this. Because no matter where you've been or what you've done, this is his table. And we're coming today to remember him. Father, I want to thank you for this. I thank you for our church, God. I thank you that a guy like me could be a part of a church like this. And um, I'm so grateful for what you're doing. And we don't get it right all the time. But if you did this for these early church believers, you can do it for us too. And the light that shined through them is the same light that's shining through us. And so, God, we're trusting today that you're going to use us to make a difference. We are that witness to a lost and dying world of what devotion to God and each other really looks like, a Christian community. And as we come together at this table, it's you we remember. And we thank you in your precious name. Amen.